0: Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate, as always, you listening to Bible Crossfire every week at this same time. Here on this program, of course, it's called Bible Crossfire. So, if we teach something that you disagree with, you're welcome to call in and try to dispute it. The only thing we ask is that the Bible is going to settle the issue. Whatever the Bible says, what God says settles the matter. You know, 2 plus 2, we use this illustration maybe too much. 2 plus 2 can't equal 4 and 5 at the same time. Both answers can't be right. So when people in religion, preaches, preachers, churches are teaching different things, they can't all be right. But the Bible is written by God. It's written perfectly. And it's written in a way that we can understand it. Ephesians 3, 3 through 4. So we can read the Bible and find out the answer to any of these questions. Any of these issues. The Bible will tell us the answers that we need to know in religion. It may not tell us the, the square root of three, or some mathematical questions or answers, but it tells us what we need to know in religion, and everything we need to know in religion. If you want to give us a call, the number is, and the lines are wide open right now, 877 If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877 in between calls the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about using the Bible as our guidebook. And I've suggested to you that some churches now admit that they're not using the Bible as their guidebook. For example, the, uh, a representative of the Presbyterian Church in Time Magazine, 1991, says the church should, quote, reevaluate its definition of sin to reflect the changing mores, or customs, practices of society. Well, the Bible says sin is the transgression of the law, God's law, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. But now this particular church, the Presbyterian church, says no. We need to reevaluate the definition of sin to reflect how society has changed. They happened to be talking about homosexuality at that time, gay marriage, Basically, So basically the idea is when, when all of society was against homosexuality and called it a sin, then we're going to say it's a sin. But now that society is switching over and now they say it's okay, we're going to say it's okay because the definition of sin should reflect the changing customs and practices of society. That quote shows that church is not using the Bible as its guidebook anymore. Instead, they're letting society determine for them what is sin and what is not, instead of what the Scriptures say. Another such quote we read from the Birmingham News in 2003. uh, The first gay bishop in the Episcopal Church said this in his sermon when he was ordained. He says, just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. You know, I thought that's exactly what made something wrong if it departed from Scripture. But he's saying if it departs from Scripture, that doesn't necessarily make it wrong. He's admitting they're not using the Scripture as their guidebook. We must use the Scripture as our guidebook. John seventeen seventeen says, "Sanctify them through Thy truth. Truth, Thy Word is truth." So God's Word, the Bible, defines for us what truth is. And John eight thirty two says, "You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free." Talking about being made free from sin, so the Bible, God's word, defines for us what truth is. John seventeen seventeen and John eight thirty two says only the truth will set us free from sin. So the Bible should be our guidebook. We're not going to be set free from by, from sin by false religious teaching. Let's talk a little bit about some other issues and what churches say about them, and see if they're using the Bible as their guidebook. Here's what the Bible says about faith only salvation. A lot of churches teach you're saved at the point of faith, or by faith alone, meaning you don't have to also obey. James 2.24 reads this way. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Now that's pretty clear. A lot of churches, preachers say you're saved by faith only, and the Bible says you're, you're justified by works and not by faith only. If you go back to Bible times, of course, everybody taught that salvation was not by faith only, but we have a quote here from the Articles of Religion of the Methodist Church. And they say, Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only is a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. So the Methodist Church officially says that we're saved by faith only in their creed book. And the Bible says, No, we're saved by works and not by faith only. Is the Methodist Church still using the Bible as their guidebook? Well, a lot of churches teach teach we're saved by faith only. Are these churches that teach salvation by faith only? Still using the Bible as their guidebook? No, because the Bible, the guidebook, says we're not saved by faith only. And they say we are saved by faith only. They're not using the Bible as their guidebook. Margie from Washington, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please.
1: My daughter, she's 62 years old. she, She raised her kids Christian. She's been a Christian forever and raised that way by her dad and me. Anyway, she says that at one time in her life, she's been sick for quite some time now, a couple years, and we're worried about her mind, because her thing is that Hebrews 10.26 condemns her for her the rest of her life and through eternity, and she has no hope, and she cannot get God back.
0: Now, Hebrews 10.26 reads this way, Margie. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now that is definitely saying somebody who sins willfully is going to be lost if they don't repent and receive forgiveness. It's not saying they can't receive forgiveness. for forgiveness. What well, it she means, thinks
1: there's no no yep. forgiveness for that.
0: What what it means when it says there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, what it's trying to say this, is this. If we sin when it's not on purpose, we'll, we'll, you know, a sin of ignorance or inadvertently, we might say, we're not in effect. We're not saying by our sin that we reject the sacrifice of Christ because we didn't sin on purpose. But when we sin on purpose, that's in effect, consciously rejecting the sacrifice of Christ. And the writer here is saying, if you reject that sacrifice, there's not another sacrifice. But this doesn't mean, Margie, and you can explain this to your daughter if you like. This doesn't mean that you can't be forgiven. First John chapter 1 verse 9. Now this is talking about Christians, not to people who've never become Christians, not to people who've never been baptized for the remission of sins. But first John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is a blanket statement. We're going to talk about a caveat in just a minute, an exception, a blanket statement that says God is willing to forgive any sin. Do you see that, Margie? Yes, I understand it. Acts 2.38, this is what is said to some people who have never become Christians before, some believers. He said, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we can receive remission of sins if we're willing to repent and be baptized. Do you see that, Margie?
1: Yes, she has been baptized. She, yeah, she. But and she has, like I say, she's she's been a Christian all of her life. She, you know, every all she ever wanted to talk to, about was God and raised her kids mm-hmm. and everything that way. But she said that she did not obey God, uh, and uh, and so she feels that she uh, mm-hmm. went against the Holy Spirit, and there's no forgiveness for her.
0: Mm-hmm. There is only one exception to this blanket statement we read about being: if you repent you can be forgiven. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 31 and 32, Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So he's saying all sin, all manner of sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. And, of course, he's assuming that a person repents. We see that from other passages. But there's one sin, only one sin, that God will not forgive even if a person repents. That's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, Margie. Matthew now, what do you 12, consider blasphemy? She said that she went against the Holy Spirit. She didn't talk bad about it. She just didn't do what the Holy Spirit told her. No, that's not blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, if you read this context, and I probably don't have time to do it on this program, but if you read the context... That's when somebody has performed a miracle. And, when, of course, the miracle would have been done by the power of the Holy Ghost, but then you say and attribute that miracle, you admit the miracle happened, but you say it was done by the power of Satan. So a way a person could commit that today is if they saw the miracles in the Bible, saw a miracle, really believed that it really happened, but then said, I believe it was done by the power of Satan instead of by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, Margie, here's what I'm going to suggest. Okay perhaps we could have a three-way phone call where we could have, say, a one-hour Bible study, free of charge, where you and me and your daughter uh, have a a Bible study via the phone on this and talk to her about it and show her what the Scriptures say, because she's probably not listening right now, but we could do this over the phone and do it in a slower way and, and talk about the passages and discuss them. Does that sound like something that might interest you?
1: Yes, anything interests me to get her out of this. I mean, if I read the text she sends me, it's just pitiful. And she said that she can't get God. God won't come back. Uh She gets no comfort from him because she believes wrong.
0: The last four digits of your phone number are 1124, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to call you later so we can figure out a way to... uh, set up this study sometime when it's convenient for you too, okay Margie? Okay,
1: now we don't live close to each other. I don't know if that matters. She lives no, a, a
0: no we're gonna do a we're gonna do it by phone, a three way okay. f- phone Bible study, okay?
1: Okay, yeah. That's so I'll reason. call I'll you later so we there. can
0: yeah. I'll call you later so we can set up a time that's convenient for you guys, okay? Okay,
1: yes, yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that.
0: Thanks for your call, Margie.
1: All right. Bye
0: bye. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. We're talking about using the Bible as, as our guidebook, and I'm going to suggest to you churches that sprinkle for baptism are not using the Bible as their guidebook. Here's what the Bible says about the action or the mode of baptism. In other words, how we should baptize, immersion or sprinkling. Romans 6, 4, and 5 says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So, this passage says that we're buried with him, buried with Christ in baptism. Now, when somebody dies and we take them out to the graveyard and bury them, Does that mean we stand them up and sprinkle a little dirt on their head? Or does that mean we put them all the way up under the ground? Well, we know what buried means. And this says that we're buried with Christ in baptism. So baptism should be a burial in water. Yet, a lot of people who claim to be Christians, believers in Christ, they sprinkle for baptism. I suggest to you they're not really following the Bible as their guidebook. For example, the Catholic Church. Here's a Catholic book, Our Faith and the Facts. This is not an enemy of the Catholic Church, this is a friend of the Catholic Church, a member, a representative of the Catholic Church writing this book. He says, on page 399, the Catholic Church at one time practiced immersion. This was up to the 13th century. The Council of Ravenna in 1311 changed the form from immersion to pouring. So he's saying even the Catholic Church practiced immersion up till 1311 and then they changed it from immersion to pouring. Who gave them the right to change baptism? Suppose I wanted to change baptism and say, instead of baptizing in water, we're going to baptize in grape juice. You probably would laugh. You can't change baptism like that. Well, if they can change baptism from immersion to sprinkling, why can't I change it from water to grape juice? (laughs) One is just as unscriptural as the other. They're not following the Bible as their guidebook. They changed from what the Bible taught in Romans 6 and other places. Baptism should be immersion. They changed it to pouring, which is not found in God's Word. And then the Methodist discipline, the Methodist Creed book, said in 1956, quote, Let every adult person and the parents of every child to be baptized have the choice of sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. So the Methodist church is going to give you a choice sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. Well, is that what the Bible teaches, to give a choice like that? You say, Pat, why does this matter? Well, Matthew 15, verse 9 says, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, if sprinkling is not taught by God's Word, and it's not, the Bible, as I said, teaches baptism should be an immersion. Then would sprinkling for baptism be a commandment of God or a commandment of men? Well, I think it's obvious. If it's not in God's Word, the Bible, it would be a commandment of men. Those who teach and believe and practice commandments of men, their worship is in vain, meaning useless or worthless. You can't go to heaven that way. So the Methodist church is going to give you a choice according to this, but the Bible teaches it should be immersion or burial. Those churches, like the Methodist church, the Presbyterian church, the Catholic church, who practice sprinkling for baptism, They're not still using the Bible as their guidebook. If they were, they would look at the guidebook, and they would find out how baptism is supposed to be done, and they see that it was immersion, and they would do it that way. Same way if you want to play the the baseball, the game of baseball. You want to know how to play it? You look at the rule book. You follow the rule book. If you're not following the rule book of baseball, instead maybe you're following the rule book of football, then you're playing football, not baseball. So if you're not following the guidebook for Christianity, the Bible, then you're not really practicing Christianity. You're doing something else. We'll get back to that in a minute. We're going to try to take a call in a minute. In the meantime, but if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755 is the number to call if you have a Bible question or comment. You know, talking about using the Bible as our guidebook, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 reads this way. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So this passage is saying that Scripture is inspired by God. God told the writers what to say. It's actually written by God. He's the real author. And it's profitable for doctrine and other things that are listed. Reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So what we should use for doctrine is the Bible, according to this. Scripture and Scripture alone. It is our guidebook when it comes to religious doctrine. But so many churches, so many preachers have left that. Leon from Indiana, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes. Uh I was always told that uh,
2: last week it was going to be in God or the God here. Uh and uh it seems that uh it wasn't explained this uh this way exactly on 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 the program, uh which is a blanket statement, you know. What what, did you you had always heard?
0: What I I kind of missed part of your call. You had always heard what Leon
2: that that blasphemy is un unbelief in God, a blanket statement, you know, which is deny there is a God, you know, because the Bible said clearly says that every man knows there is a God and is responsible for his actions. Having known that, uh, it's how you respond to that. And, uh, so, you know, uh, which is, which, which is true. Uh, so, uh, hence, uh, where atheism comes in. So, yeah.
0: I mean... Leon, I, I'm pretty sure that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not unbelief, because people, everybody at one point is an unbeliever, but they change right. from that. They repent and become a believer when they become a Christian, and they're forgiven. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, Matthew 12, 31 and 32, is a sin that you commit that can't be forgiven even if you change, even if you repent. It's, there's, it's only one sin, and even if you repent, you can't be forgiven. So that's not belief. Belief is certainly a sin that we can repent of and be forgiven for. Uh, well, You see what I, I'm saying, I, Leon? Yeah, I understand that because, uh, uh, because uh, at, at one point
2: we were all lost. And so, uh, but uh, we have a chance to come back and, and correct that, you know, sometime in
0: life, you know. Uh, but. Yeah. uh and we can be boy. forgiven for it, right? For, right. For being an unbeliever. Right. But we can't be forgiven for the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We can't be forgiven for that. That's the point, the very point of Matthew 12... Thirty-one and thirty-two is that we can't be forgiven. So it's obviously not just unbelief all by itself. It's attributing a miracle. A miracle. Let's say you see it in the Bible, you attribute that miracle to the power of Satan instead of to the power of the Holy Ghost. And when you do that, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Leon, I appreciate your call. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, thank Have you. Have a very good much. evening. Have a good evening. Thomas from Alabama. I'm Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please.
3: How you doing? All right, uh, Very good, Thomas. Is, do, you believe, do you believe that I could have the spirit of Paul come into work, try to work through me? Because in 1 Corinthians and then in, in uh, Romans 1, as I listen to it, I'm blind. I cannot see. I see the spirit realm. I see things in the spirit realm. I don't see the physical realm no more. I hadn't always been blind, but had an accident. I went blind and got my sight back and then lost again. And I've been telling people I see these spirits. I see the demons. I see the angels. I see... I see the light when it comes, you know what I'm saying? I see him when he comes Is what I've come to believe, and he does miracles through me. He does miracles through me. I can can just say, hey, you know, and and he just does that through me, and people, it's done no difference. What I want, my question is, I'm sorry, do you believe it could actually be the spirit of Paul coming to me that I see as I listen to the Bible?
0: No, the Bible never teaches that the spirit of Paul will ever be literally in somebody like that. So since the Bible doesn't teach it.
3: Do you think, okay, the witnesses of the light, like I said, I see the light. When the light comes, the same light that the animal dogs see, the same light that the infants see, I see the light when the light comes. Okay, well, I'm seeing these other things. I'm not saying they really enter me. I'm saying they come to me, and they're witnessing. As I'm listening to the Bible, as I see into the spirit of them, you understand? While I'm listening to the Bible, I have these spirits come up to me, and they're trying to confirm to me that this is them. That that, that I, that, you know, and Like I said, now, keep in mind, he does miracles through me. God does. The Holy Ghost does. They get into him. They do these miracles to people, and he's done it time and time again. I could give you a list of them, you know, I'm there's hospital record proof, you know what I'm saying? It's just, that's, so I, I need to know, I just, I, that's my question Do you.
0: So it's yeah. not the spirit of Paul coming to me? Right, because Thomas, thank listen. you for your call. Thank you for your call. No, that's not the spirit of Paul. The Bible does not teach that. I mean, that's, that's simply the way to put it. On this program, we let the Bible tell us the answers, and the Bible does not teach that somebody has the spirit of Paul in that sense. So since the Bible doesn't teach that, then we know that it's not true, Roseanne from Florida go ahead. have your Bible question or comment, please Roseanne, are you're on the air go ahead you want you got a bible question or comment
1: Roseanne, you got a bible question or comment
0: we're talking about using the Bible as, their, as our guidebook. Let's talk about who should be baptized, infants or believers. Here's what the Bible says about that. Acts eight thirty six and 37. In verse 35, Philip was preaching unto the eunuch Jesus. Verse 36 says, As they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So when the eunuch wanted to be baptized, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Mayest what? Be baptized. Which implies that if you don't believe with all your heart, you may not be baptized. Now ask yourself this question. Can an infant believe? No, and it's through no fault of his own. He's not mature enough to understand how to believe. So obviously, if Philip's saying if you believe, you may be baptized. And that implies then... You can't be baptized if you don't believe. That rules out infants. This passage clearly shows that infant baptism is unscriptural. But again, the Methodist discipline, the Methodist creed book in 1956 says, quote, the baptism of young children is to be retained in the church. They're going to baptize these infants, these young children, even if they don't believe. In spite of what Acts 8:36 and 37 says. A lot of churches practice infant baptism. All churches who practice infant baptism, they have quit using the Bible as their guidebook, evidently, because if they were using the Bible as their guidebook, they wouldn't practice things like infant baptism, sprinkling for baptism. They wouldn't teach faith-only salvation. They wouldn't teach a person could be saved without believing in Christ. They wouldn't teach that you could divorce and remarriage for just about any reason and still be considered faithful members. They wouldn't allow women preachers in the, in the church if they were still using the Bible as their guidebook. They wouldn't allow gay marriage if they were still using the Bible as their guidebook. All of these churches, they have stopped using the Bible as their guidebook. What is the eternal fate of those who do not use the Bible as their guidebook and the fate of those who go along with such? Second John 9-11 through 11, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. If they're coming in to you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed, for he that bideth him God speed is partaker of his evil deeds. If we don't abide in the teaching of Christ, we don't have God, we can't be saved. That's the problem with all this. That's the result of not using the Bible as their guidebook. If you want that phone Bible study with me, 256-682-9753. Call or text me for the free one-hour phone Bible study, 256-682-9753.